Hello, this is Jay Denson of Fit Health Well, and we have another episode here. And it's an episode that I really wanted to get out to you guys. Um, this past week, as you as as, as the world knows, um, was the passing of Chadwick Boseman. And with me being an uh, African American, I'm pretty sure a lot of African Americans um, out there uh, are being a little bit more conscious with their health. Um, this colon cancer. Um, topic has really become has become trending and it's becoming trending because we're dying at earlier earlier ages and he was 42 or 43 I believe Um, and you know I wanted to have a professional come in and and speak to um, not only just the the having colon cancer but just what to look out for signs and symptoms Um, you know what, what the things that we should be doing right um, regarding our health, which is, you know, really, really important. Um, so my guest today is, is very, very accomplished. Um, he is a graduate of the Harvard, Harvard Medical School. Um, he's also an assistant professor of medicine with a division of gastroenterology and hepatology. For those that don't know what that is, it's the study of the digestive system, including the gallbladder and the liver. Um, he's also the director of the endoscopic Bariat, um, and I may, I'm sorry if I'm butchering this, but the bariatric program, um, and what that is, is, is it really is um, treats and the causes and the prevention of obesity. Um, he's also, and I was very impressed by this, he's the chief medical social media officer at Jefferson Health. Okay, um, if speaking of social media, if that's not enough, um, what I found very entertaining, he is a, 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 an influencer um, with over 286,000 followers on TikTok. He has four, over 48,000 followers on Instagram and over 10,000 followers on, twi- on Twitter. Um, he is a gastroenterologist and his name is Dr. Austin Chiang. And I'm very, very happy to have you. So uh, how are you today, doctor? I hope I got everything and, and hopefully I didn't leave too much stuff out. No, that was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for that introduction. Yeah, no problem. So, um, yeah, first off, let me just thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, as, as we discussed prior, this was a very important topic that I wanted to have on the show. Um, and with time of the, of the essence, um, with this being a, a trending topic right now, you know, I wanted to raise the level of awareness because a lot of people don't know, um, and even including myself previously, you know, just how important, like how did the digestive system works and, and, and about cancer and, and, you know, what, what are the signs and what do we, what should we should look out for? So, um, you know, I'm so glad I have you here to kind of just break this down for us. Um, but before we get into that stuff, I want everybody to know a little bit about you. So let's start with your background and, and, and how did you find your, your passion? for medicine? Um, so I, you know, for in terms of how I found my passion for medicine, I think I've always been interested in the sciences and understanding the human body. But at the same time, I was also looking for a career that I thought would be fulfilling um, with helping people. And, and so melding those two interests is really how it came about. I had also the good fortune of, you know, having some exposure to healthcare. Um, when I was younger, volunteering at hospitals and whatnot, um, not so many. There are, are a couple of physicians in my family, but I didn't really have that much exposure. My parents are not physicians, um, but I have some cousins who are. Um, and, you know, through them, had a little bit of an idea of what it was like, I suppose. 
um, of what, you know, being a physician is like. Although now, now that I'm in my position, I, um, I can definitely say that there's just medicine is so different depending on where you're practicing and whatnot. So it's, it's funny how that isn't exactly an accurate, um, portrayal of what medicine was like. But in any case, um, that's how I found my way to medicine. And then in terms of how I found gastroenterology as my field was also a whole process of discovery along the way, figuring out, um, you know, what worked, what, what I enjoyed through medical school, I kept an open mind and, um, and over the years through medical training kind of narrowed down through process of elimination, what I wanted to end up doing. Exactly. And, and, you know, most people in that, you know, that's not unaware of medical field and practices, you know, we all have doctors that specializes in certain areas. Uh, what was it about gastroenterology that was, that, that just fascinated you and wanted you to, and you, uh, made you want to get into that? Yeah. So I always wanted to do something procedural and, um, and so gastroenterology actually has a good balance between medicine and procedures that actually we have to go through internal medicine training to get to gastroenterology. So it's not like having a surgical background. Um, so I kind of made my decision after going through uh, medical training that I wanted to do something procedural, which is how, um, you know, this ended up being one of those options. But it also was particularly fascinating because there are there's a lot of variety in this field. There are a lot of organs to work with. It's not just focused on one organ. And, um, and also... With that said, because it's so procedural, there's a lot of innovation with devices, and um, and that makes the field really exciting as well. So a lot of things have played into it, but it's mainly kind of the procedures, the innovation, the personality of the field, um, and uh, and kind of where this is all going, kind of with um with research and things like that. Absolutely. And, and you touched on something that's going to lead into my next question um, is, you know, you said there's a lot of, you know, it's not just one organ, right? There's, there's a lot of organs um, when you break down the, the digestive system. So for someone that's just listening to this for the first time, you know, and, and they may not know, um, can you just break down what the digestive system is and how it works? Yeah, I think that we often think of the digestive system as just being the stomach or the intestines. You know, that's what people often think with when they talk about the gut and truth be told, yes, that's a huge part of it. And, you know, if you think of our gut as starting from your mouth all the way to the other end, you know, that entire process is involved with digestion. And even some would argue that digestion even starts before that when we're thinking about food and how we approach food. Um, but we often don't think about some of the other organs that are involved, such as uh, the liver, the pancreas, the bile duct, those are all active players in what, how digestion works. Um, and kind of as I was alluding to, the brain also has a huge part in, in that. And when I talk about, you know, obesity medicine, for instance, you know, that's a huge player in, in what goes into regulating that. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, and thank you for breaking that down because, you know, um, each part of our system and, and like, you know, there's, there's so many combining parts, right? And I think, uh, what you touched on before, a lot of us, we do think, oh, oh, well, it's just the stomach or it's just the liver and it's this, it's this whole system that goes along with it. Um, so now that, you know, now that we, we, we talked about the digestive system and, 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 in terms of that, um, 
you know, again, we're going to get into it uh, a little, uh, touch on it a little bit right now. I want to get into, um, let's talk about, before we get into the colon, um, colon cancer and the symptoms and things like that, let's talk about specifically that organ. How does it work? Um, and what are it, you pretty much, what are its functions? So that we have a better understanding. Yeah. So the colon is synonymous with large intestine, you know, they're, they're one and the same. So when we think about our gut and we think the stomach empties into the small intestine, there's 20 feet worth of small intestine in your belly. And then that's connected to the large intestine. And, um, that's the last kind of section of the gut before poop exits your body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's the colon and its function really is, is absorbing water and solidifying. If you think about kind of the things that you eat getting digested, all that partially digested material has water that's basically absorbed through the walls of the colon. And that's what solidifies your poop so that it becomes solid. And, um, and in that process, there's also some nutrients that are um, being absorbed, but most of the nutrient absorption actually happens in the small intestine. But, uh, but that's really what the colon does is solidifying the stool and also, it houses the microbiome, which we're, as a field, we're still trying to figure out exactly how it works. We know that it plays an important um, uh, important role in our gut health, but basically, the microbiome is this population of gut bacteria that lives in the colon that could potentially have a lot of different effects on the body, and we're still trying to figure that out. Absolutely. And, and thank you for, uh, I like to do little summaries when I get little takeaways from experts like yourself and professionals that come on. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I kind of didn't think about that until you said it, but yeah, the, the colon function is really what solidifies our stool, right? Like it, when we have it and guys, listen, I know a lot of this stuff is going to sound gross, but it's essential. So uh, it's, it's you know, a lot of medical terms, but we're going to, you know, we're going to get to, we're going to do a lot of learning today. Um, but my question to you on that as well, too, is when we have diarrhea, is the function is the colon not functioning properly because it hasn't extracted enough water? Is that how that works? That's one potential cause. There are a lot of different reasons for diarrhea. Sometimes it's because your body is creating more liquid. Um, it's secreting more liquid into the colon. Sometimes it's the movement of the gut that is sped up. And that's why um, things are just moving through your system more quickly. Sometimes it's infection related. Sometimes it's inflammatory. So it's really, it really depends on the cause. And there are a whole lot of different causes. And if someone is really suffering from diarrhea, that's why a gastroenterologist can really help figure out what that is through testing. Awesome. Thank you for that feedback. Um, and then the, the next question I have as well, just, just regarding that too, cause you spoke, you spoke about bacteria in the gut and, and I'm so glad I have you here cause you can help me, um, myth bust a lot of this stuff as well. You know, you, you see these ads for like, you know, healthy bacteria in your gut. Um, and, and kimchi is spoken of one of them is sauerkraut. Um, is that a, is that a myth or is it a fact? And, and if you know any, um, healthy, healthy bacteria that, that would, help your gut, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, for certain supplements, there's not a whole lot of evidence. Like what you see about probiotics that's at your local drugstore, that may or may not actually help and sometimes actually can worsen symptoms. Um, The idea of getting all the probiotics and healthy gut 
um, sort of bacteria from your food is is true. Like fermented foods, kimchi, yogurt, um, that sort of thing. You know, the, we we encourage eating that because that's um, that's sort of what you're eating already, and it's not necessarily a, a supplement that's being sold to you because. What's what's being sold in drugstores in a supplement form uh, isn't regulated by the FDA, and a lot of the potential benefits with um, probiotics aren't necessarily the same type of bacteria or the same amount of bacteria that are that's actually it, it, what's being studied in those studies is not necessarily the same that's being sold in drugstores. Oh, thank you, and thank you for that clarity on that as well, too, because I think. Um, one of the biggest things uh, in, in, that we have right now, not only in the country or whatever, is these, these companies are being predators, right? And, and selling a lot of this stuff to the public. You know, they want to be healthy, um, but a lot of this stuff, you know, unless you're consulting with your physician, um, you know, or, or, or professional, you know, you really don't know what you're putting in your body. Because like you said, there hasn't been any regulation on that. Yeah, some of it right? can be. Yeah, some of it can be positive, but again, sometimes it can worsen symptoms as well. So if you know, I, I would say that depending on someone's situation, if it's helping you, um, you know, with your symptoms, then it's probably okay. But I would, um, like you said, disclose that to your doctor just in case. Absolutely, and listen to what he said. Consult with your doctor. That's the most important thing that you can do. Um, yeah, stay off of them. Um, I'll get into later. I, I want. I definitely want your thoughts on like the whole WebMDs and stuff out there because I know people personally that hate to go to the doctor and they're like, "No, I read it off the internet," and I'm just mm-hmm. like, "No, you should stop doing that." But we'll <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. So I okay. want to. Yeah. So now I want to get into. Um, yeah. So now. The biggest threat, not only to, you know, everyone, but especially um, African-Americans and black people as well, is colon cancer. So what I want to ask you um, regarding that is, is, is what is the origin, right? Like, how does it, you know, how does it form? Um, walk, us, walk us through that. And where does it come from? And, and, and what are the symptoms? Yeah, like so, like so many different types of cancers in the body, um, there can be a small kind of error in the in mutations of the um, DNA within the the cells that can basically go awry, and suddenly you can get growths. Um, and usually, our body keeps those mistakes in check. But um, but there are instances where you know our body can respond by you know when, when something like that can really go um, go undetected. So. In the case of colon cancer, um, often these cancers will arise from polyps. And the reason why this idea of polyps, which you can imagine are kind of like skin tags, but within your colon, the reason why they're important is because we actually have the ability to look inside the colon and, and look for these polyps and remove them ahead of time, which is something that we often can't do for other types of cancers, you know. And we have screening guidelines in place that recommend starting screening for this cancer um, with ways like colonoscopy, which, again, not for all cancers out there. Certain cancers, we don't have screening guidelines because it's just not as effective of a way to roll out to the entire public and ask that everybody undergoes a test. But for colon cancer, there are guidelines in place that recommend that everyone should get screened for colon cancer um, at a certain point in their lives. And when that is really depends on, 
you know, your, your family history and what other conditions you might have. Or if you don't have any, there's also recommendations for that. And if you don't have any, and thank you for, thank you uh, for answering that as well. Um, you know, let's just say, for example, you don't have it. You have a patient, uh, African-American uh, patient, male, and he's just like, you know, doctor, I don't, I really don't know my history. I feel fine. Um, you know, I'm 42, right? But Chadwick died at 43. Um, and I'm concerned, right? Um, would you, would you, is there, uh, I'm trying to think of how to form this question. Um, is there an age, I would say an age ban on when we should be doing it? Because I'm getting so much information now that this, this topic is trending where I was hearing before it should be at 50 or a little before 50. Now I'm hearing it should be in the early forties. And, and, and what are, what are you getting um, from that? Or, you know, what, what do you recommend? So our gastroenterology society guidelines um, for the most part say for black individuals starting at age 45 rather than 50. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, Chadwick Boseman died at age 43. And so I'm sure there are a lot of people who are going to be wondering, can I get it done earlier? And the fact of the matter is that, first of all, we don't know what Chadwick Boseman's family history is or what other conditions he may have or, you know, what the specifics are of his condition. So it's hard to say that just because this happened to him, that it'll, it applies to everyone. We have seen um, increasing rates of colon cancer among younger people in their 20s and 30s. So maybe this will change in the future. But as it, but as it stands now, um, the recommendation still is for black men and women to start screening at 45 if you don't have any family history. And, um, and the reason why we can't really start earlier necessarily is because sometimes insurance might not actually cover any sort of screening that's done outside of these guidelines. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. See, I had no idea that, um, you know, that came into play as well, which is, which is also good to know. Um, so with that being said, like, so what are, um, some red flags, right? Like in terms of, of, if you feel you have colon cancer what, or someone um, may not be aware, just ignorant to it, what are some red flags when he's like, you know what, like, no, you should get up and, and, and you should go see the, see the doctor? Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because a lot of the symptoms that come with colon cancer aren't specific to colon cancer. Um, and those include like weight loss without actually trying to lose weight. Um, bleeding from the rectum, which as you can imagine, can be due to a lot of different things. Most often, likely hemorrhoids, you know, that can cause bleeding from the rectum. But, you know, one of the things that we look out for is, uh, is bleeding from the rectum. Um, also change in kind of the appearance of the stool. If we notice that it's constantly um, very thin and, you know, it's something that, that is different from before, um, that's something that's that could be alarming, but again, this is something that should be discussed with your doctor um, because none of these symptoms are really specific to it. And you know, a lot of people who we end up seeing with colon cancer actually don't have any of these symptoms. Mm. And that's interesting because uh, you almost feel like it's, it's it's so hard to detect, right? And the and the I feel, I me personally, I feel like the only surefire way. Um, is to just go get a colonoscopy, right? And the, to to make sure. I would even say, as a black male myself, in approaching forty five, um, that's something that's on my list to take care of to do. 
Yeah. And I mean, there are other ways also to screen if people can't get a colonoscopy because it is a procedure. And there are um, other options like at home stool tests where you test your stool for either traces of blood or traces of cancer related DNA. But those um, are, there's some downsides to that. And um, one major downside is that if it comes back positive, uh, you may need a colonoscopy anyway. And that colonoscopy might not be covered because it's no longer a screening tool. The other thing is that often these tests non-invasive tests don't pick up very early polyps because they have not transformed into cancers yet. And the whole point of prevention is to actually, you know, go and look for these early, uh, early polyps and take them out. So you obviously need a procedure to take them out. So, um, you know, those really should be reserved for people who actually just can't undergo a colonoscopy. Okay. Thank you for that as well. Um, so this is, this is probably one of the biggest questions I ask you during the course of this interview. Um, and it was actually, I, I like to do a little feedback when, before I have a guest and this was um, from one of my followers as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask this question, but they asked it. So why, why is, or black people or African Americans, why is it so disproportionately larger for them to, to, to be recipients of this than you know, our white counterparts. Yeah. I don't think anyone really understands at this moment. You know, I think that what we can say is it's likely not just biology, but also because of um, uh, differences in access to care, also biases that exist among health professionals and how they're referring black patients to, to get appropriate screening done. Um, and you know, those are the things that, those are the things that we can actually do as medical professionals to, to change that, change those differences, those disparities. Um, but, uh, but in the meantime, I think that what could be really helpful for anyone listening to this is that, you know, if you are a black individual going to your doctor, being proactive and asking, Hey, is it right for me to get screened? Not just for colon cancer, but all types of cancer, um, that might actually help remind your doctor to consider screening. Awesome. And I think that's, that's the key takeaway here is to be proactive, right? Yeah. I, um, you know, I don't, when it comes to cancer, and you know, we hear this all the time, but when it comes to cancer, the cancer doesn't go, oh, this is a race. Let me uh, gravitate towards this race a bit more. Um, you know, I, I did, I did want to have a professional kind of speak to that. Um, because I don't know, right? I don't know if there was if there was a scientific explanation um, for why this happens, and you know, clearly it's not. It doesn't come down to biology. I'm, we're all humans at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, being guys listening to this as well, especially if you're African American and a black, um, being proactive, being proactive, um, and taking that initiative to speak to your doctor and, and stand on top of it is important. And I'll tell you this and I'll, and, and, and I'll tell you this, uh, Dr. Austin, even as a black male, when I was younger, and this is something that we have to get over as black males is we don't like going to the doctor. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the stigma, um, and whether it's, you know, we feel that we, we're going to find, we're going to find out something that we don't want to know about. Right. Or we feel that we're t- it's a sign of weakness, but we have to get over that. Um, because, you know, as you, as you can see, you know, we're dying, um, at our earlier ages um, from, from these things. So it's important to, to stay on top of that. 
Yeah. And I mean, I think that I, I don't blame people for not wanting to go see the doctor. I think that we haven't had the best track record as a medical profession in helping our black patients out. We obviously, or I personally can understand why there's a lot of distrust. You know, there have been instances where, um, you know, if we think about, um, the racial disparities and how black patients have been treated in the past, um, there are obvious reasons that, you know, um, that people have, uh, that black patients have been yeah, mistreated and been involved in things that they don't want to be involved in. And so I get where that distrust comes from. And I think that really, um, you know, you as the patient have the power to kind of have a conversation at least. And, um, and I think that that's, that's where it should start is just having a conversation and not necessarily, you know, having the doctor say like, you absolutely need something right away, but at least just so you're informed, I think that's the most important first step. Well, doctor, thank you for that. Like, honestly, that really means a lot for you to say that and acknowledge it as well too, because you know, it's ownership on, on, on the side of the, um, from the medical profession of it. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but I want to ask you this as well, because this is something that came up during COVID um, in terms of, you know, do 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 you feel that the insurance companies get in the way of you and the patients? Because what I seen too during COVID was, you know, if you were poor, you weren't on a ventilator, or there were just so many scenarios and things like that. But at least from your practice, what you have been experiencing, um, has that become an issue in terms of like you just wanting to take care of the patients? And there's just been a big old kerbuffle with with, with insurance um, getting in between that, um, and especially yeah, I- with minorities being poor, right? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think like specific instances, but um, not respective to not not specific to COVID, but um, but there are definitely situations that we run into where it's constantly we recommend something, doing something, and insurance feels like it's not necessary based on whatever you know algorithm that they have. And I think that when you know we have to try to personalize care to patients rather than just follow like a textbook because not everyone will fall into that grid. And, um, and so, you know, for some of these weight loss procedures that I do for, um, for patients with obesity, sometimes we run into issues where, you know, the insurance companies don't recognize that and they, and it's really a tragedy because that just means that the patient is going on longer and longer without getting appropriate care. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. But then, but thank you also for giving providing some insight in that as well. Sure. So I know I know you're not a nutritionist, so I'm not going to really ask you this, but I know you are an expert um, with the digestive system, um, and it's food related, right? Because I I, I kind of want to drive home a point, um, in terms of you know, you can't prevent. I feel like I almost want to say you can't prevent cancer, but you can minimize it. So. You know, I would read these stories like there was, you know, back in the day, uh, probably a couple of years ago, I was reading, I was looking at an interview rather when I seen a, of James Brown and he was saying he, that he had to get surgery because it was a piece of steak that was just stuck in his, in his, um, in his gut. And then also Jimmy Dean, they said when he passed away, um, his colon was five to eight pounds than its normal size. So my mm. question to you is, um, are foods like one is steak one of the foods where if you eat it if if it's if it's a majority of your diet does that uh, become problematic because it's harder for your your digestive system to break that down 
and what are food and if and if that's true what foods related to that should we you know kind of minimize or or, or kind of stay away from well i think for colon cancer specifically any form of red meat not just steak could contribute to higher rates of that, could increase your risk of developing colon cancer. I think in general, we always talk about a diet that is balanced and that is high in fiber and you know leafy greens and vegetables in general. I think that those are certainly the most helpful. And helping to maintain a healthy weight is also really critical because obesity is also a known um, factor in raising your risk for colon cancer as well. So I think that, um, you know, not steak per se, but, you know, as much as you can maximize having healthy fruits and vegetables is the way to go. Okay. That's good. And that's a good takeaway. Um, you know, again, if, if, if possible, reduce the amount of red meat, not only just steak, um, if I'm correct here, if I'm summarizing what we said earlier, the good things that can help your digestive system and your gut are natural foods like fermented foods like kimchi and the sauerkraut, right? And the probiotics like your yogurt. So you want to make sure that you're digesting, um, you know, you're digesting that and you're incorporated. Kind of stay away from the supplements, especially if you don't know what you're taking. Don't buy stuff off the internet <laughs> and then just start ingesting it. Yeah. Um, so we, we definitely got some great information there. I would, I would, and I want to say to solidify all of that because we got to, you know, we, he really kind of brought it home for us, but, um, being proactive and talking to your doctor, um, and in ter- if we're talking specifically to, um, colon cancer, um, you know, again, just get those screenings and, 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 and pay attention to the red flags, um, that was mentioned. And even if you don't have those red flags, just make sure you're staying on top of them. Um, your thoughts on what is your thoughts on man? Like, uh, so uh, yeah, I mentioned this earlier in the interview. You know, you got the 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 portion of people that hate to go to the doctor, and it's like, no, no, I, I read this off of WebMD. I'm fine. I don't need to go. In. Like, what what do you feel about you know these these these? Is that a valuable resource um, other than going to your doctor or in addition to your doctor of going to these websites? And are there any credible websites out there to reference? And I don't want anyone just solely relying on social media for information because you do need to have that relationship with your doctor. But um, what are your thoughts on that? And if there are any good resources out there, wh- where, we sh- where should we be uh, focusing our eyes on? Yeah, I think that that you kind of hit the nail on the head is not relying on a single source. There are an increasing number of us who are active on social media who, you know, have the training to talk about the topics we talk about. And that's even on social media. There are a lot of people that are talking a lot about certain areas when they don't actually have the training in it. So it's really important to kind of figure out whether or not the training is appropriate for what they're talking about. Um, you know, even within my field, there's a lot of, like you said, diet related, um, self-proclaimed experts or, you know, folks who are focused on that. I mean, we see that a lot with like other fields like dermatology as well. You know, a lot of people who are skincare experts that have no actual medical training in that. Um, but for websites like WebMD, I'll say that it's not all bad information, there, you know, they have teams also vetting the information as well. I think what is really difficult when you're reading some of this information on your own is that you can't really put it in the context of a medical, you know, of appropriate kind of medical um, 
uh, a medical landscape, you sometimes like it's taken out of context and that's what, what makes it difficult. Even for an area that I'm not familiar with, if I'm looking online and I go come across WebMD, you know, some of those symptoms that they're mentioning sound a whole lot like what I'm having and, you know, it, it can be really scary. So I get why, um, you know, uh, I think that being informed is really important. So doing your research online and preparing questions for the doctor is helpful. But at the end of the day, speaking to a professional in person is, is the best way to go. Absolutely. And give yourself some options. I'm sorry, WebMD, if I feel a little biased. I just, at times, I feel like they're the Wikipedia of the medical profession. So, <laughs> but yeah. um, like you And said, I think, you know, they're all, all of these websites are, are aware of that sort of reputation and they're working on ways to try to make it better that, you know, it's a careful balance of like giving you enough information um, versus enough information to be worried, you know? So <laughs> I think that that's, um, that, you know, they're, they're going to keep on improving. And, and I think that over the years they have. Absolutely. Um, so I know we spent a lot of time in the, in the focus of this specific episode and it was a special episode um, was focusing on, on colon cancer. Um, mm-hmm. But you also have a specialization as well in the treatment and the prevention of obesity. Um, and so my last question that I have um, regarding this as well, if there's, you know, there's probably somebody listening to this and, and they're, they're struggling with it. Um, you know, what kind of advice would you give them to get through it? Ooh, I think that it really depends on everyone's personal struggle. Um, you know, again, seeing somebody in person really helps determine whether or not there's an underlying eating disorder involved, if there's actually something else that's medical, that's a condition that can be treated that is contributing to weight gain that um, isn't just food related. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that you know, if it is all just because of dietary habits, we have tools to help people along, but any medication or procedure really is just a tool to help people get started with a much more long-term solution on their own. And at the end of the day, it really does come down to the way people are eating and how they're consuming calories. Um, And, you know, it shouldn't be a um, a solo journey, a struggle on your own. It should be something where you have help because it's not easy. And, um, and that's where we come into play and we can hook you up with dietitians and, you know, appropriate professionals to help you along the way. Absolutely. And I'm glad I have you here as well too. Um, cause I always feel like to don't get caught up everybody in terms of, of, of size, right? Because every obese person, um, isn't, in core health and every per person that looks fit isn't in the best health, right? It's off a perspective. I think a lot of times people that are, are, are obese, um, they kind of get caught up in the visual and that's great. Like if you want to lose weight, cause it's healthy. Um, but again, it's, it, it could be the diet. So I know vegans, um, that, you know, are eat a lot of carbs and then they're not thin. Um, but you know, again, it's all about perception and, and how you feel. And, and again, with you having that, um, just that expertise, I just wanted to definitely, if you had any type of advice for anyone, um, I know it's a, probably a broad question and it's a case by case uh, basis, but it's always a good starting point um, if they have some sense of direction, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Awesome. Um, Dr. Austin, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, you are someone I'd like to keep in my network. So I'll, uh, if you don't mind, uh, you'll be a friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And, um, you know, our interview, our interview was really, really great. But if you want to be entertained, I'm telling you guys now, go to that TikTok. <laughs> like he's doing wop. Like I, I, I was really entertained. <laughs> And I, I'm cautious with TikTok because I, I find myself as I get lost in TikTok. So mm-hmm. five minutes turns into 30 minutes and I'm dancing. So you do an amazing job with your TikTok um, page. I really, really love it. Um, and then uh, just get with, with, with just as we get out of here, um, just let everybody know how they can follow you on your socials. And um, if you have anything that you want the public to know, I don't know if you, maybe any speaking engagements or seminars, here's your opportunity to talk about it. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you can find me at Austin Chang, MD. My last name is spelled C-H-I-A-N-G. It's the same on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. Um, and yeah, in terms of exciting things happening, um, I think, you know, be on the lookout with, um, with whatever I'm doing on TikTok. A lot of the things that I end up getting involved with come out of there. Also, my organization, the Association for Healthcare Social Media, is a uh, professional society where we're helping health professionals um, utilize social media so that they can be online and putting out you know, accurate information, which is becoming even more important nowadays in the pandemic because so many people are spending more time on social media being exposed to good and bad health information. Um, so yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff coming out and, um, you know, I've done some other media interviews as well, like news, um, like news interviews related to colon cancer and actually I'll keep on talking about gut health related things on YouTube. So, so you can check me out there. Exactly. And as I mentioned before, yeah, he, he does a really good job at the short video. So um, if this is a continued interest of yourself or anything else having to do with his practice, please follow him on his TikTok. He's very engaged <laughs> there on the Instagram as well. Um, and then it, he's very easy to look up. Honestly, you can put in Dr. Austin Chang and that's Chang with an I. Um, and he'll pop up. You can Google him. He has YouTube videos. Um, he's an amazing individual and I'm glad he took time out of his day to speak to us. So, um, you know, again, thank you doctor for, for, for taking the time to speak to us and speak to our listeners as well. Um, and then I also want to thank you guys, the listeners. I'm so grateful. Um, the podcast show is doing really, really well. I started this thing in January and since then, um, not only has the user engagement increased, but when I have uh, guests like yourself that decide to come on and, and they, they, uh, like what I'm doing in the mission. I'm just, I'm truly humbled for it. So again, I, I thank everybody for that. And um, for anyone that's listening, if they'd like to be on the show and have any questions, you can email us at fithealthwell at gmail.com. Any and everything related to the brand is fithealthwell.com. And then again, same thing on all social media platforms, fithealthwell. Facebook page, Instagram, except for Twitter. There's a CA at the bottom of that because someone took my handle. However, 
<laughs> we gonna we gonna keep on trucking. But uh, thank you guys for uh, listening. This was a very essential episode. Um, th- if if I encourage anyone to sh- really share, I, you know, I really don't get on my followers to share information because I like you guys to find it on your own. But you know, please share this because it's an important topic, and I want to make sure that you know you're taking care of yourself. So until the next episode, I love you guys, and I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>